Jessie Aredia, and you're listening to Soul Care for the New Mom, a podcast designed with new moms in mind. Oh, you guys, I just know that you are going to love today's episode where I get to chat with my friend Rachel Rennie about her experiences with postpartum depression and anxiety. Now, even if you have never had postpartum depression or anxiety, I do believe that you will walk away from this conversation feeling encouraged and empowered by so much biblical truth. My hope is that you are comforted in the knowledge that you are not alone and that the Lord is faithful through it all. In this conversation, we don't just talk about what her experiences with these things were like, but we also talk about how she found help for her depression through counseling and medication and why it's so important to be talking about this topic in the first place. So without further ado, here is my conversation with my dear friend, Rachel. Rachel, I'm so glad that you're Hello. here. And, hi, <laughs> how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing really well, and I'm really excited this talk that we're having. Yes, yes, me too. I'm very, very excited to do this, and I just really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you very much. Yes, um, I I know that today we're going to be talking a lot about postpartum depression and um, your experiences with them and your thoughts on it. Um, And I just kind of wanted to like set up a little bit of a backstory of like who you are and what your family life is like right now. So can you just kind of paint a picture of what this season looks like for you right now? Yeah, absolutely. So I think if I could paint the picture with a one word, it would be chaos, but but (laughs) in a good way. Um, And I'm sure any mom can um, attest to that. But Right now, um, my husband and I, who are Georgia natives, are currently living in Dallas, Texas, um, while my husband pursues his master's degree at Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, we have two children under the age of two. Uh, My son, Walter, Mm -hmm. will be two in April. So he's, what, 20, 21 months. And uh, my daughter, Gail, is seven months. And um, we're just living in a small two-bedroom apartment, doing life in close quarters with our small dog, <laughs> and, uh, and um, just kind of taking it day by day. But but yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty simple life, but and yet it's still pretty busy, but, but we enjoy it. So, so that's what's oh, going on over here. I am sure. And, you know, I love that we connected through a mutual friend because we both are in such a similar season. So it's kind of funny mm-hmm. to, like, follow along with each other on social media, even <laughs> though we're not in the same state. It's like we can, you know, kind of attest to the chaos when we, like, watch yes. each other's posts and stuff. So it's yes, really sure. funny. Yes. So <laughs> I'm I'm I just I'm just ready to dive right in. I don't know about you, but um mm-hmm. I'm just really excited for just the insight that you have to share, um, especially as you share your own personal experiences. Um I just want to start off with asking, you know, why is this a topic that you care about um talking about with other women? Because I know that not too long ago you did do an Instagram live where you shared a lot of this stuff with um your followers and I just thought it was so valuable. And I mean, it's why I'm having you on here today to share it with, with our listeners. Um, <laughs> so just why do you think this is such an important topic? Um, why is that? You know, I think it comes from my own experience. And I think that it's because I went through what I went through, which 
you know, we'll, we'll touch on later. But when I went through postpartum depression and after the birth of, of, of both of my children, but especially my first, especially my first, it felt very, very lonely, very alienating. I mean, those words almost don't seem like, like enough how to, how to express just mm-hmm. how alone I felt because it's just a topic that is, even though it's so prevalent, I mean, if you look up the statistics, you just Google the statistics of postpartum right. depression, even though it's so prevalent, it's so infrequently discussed. And I think that when I started walking through it, I didn't know what exactly it was. I didn't know what exactly I was going through. And it was a very, th- that made it very intimidating, very scary. And I think that what what really kind of fires me up about talking about it now is just getting it out there, you know, mm-hmm. so that if other women walk through what I went through, they will know first and foremost, they're not crazy. And the biggest thing is they're not alone. Mm-hmm. And that what they're dealing with is something that not only is not oftentimes not permanent, but is that you're surrounded by this community of women who have either been there or are currently in it. And so I think that's was really kind of the driving force is that, you know, I don't want somebody to feel the way that I felt when I was walking through this. And, it, and it's nobody's fault. It was just, it's just the nature oftentimes of depression and anxiety. It's just mm-hmm. for some reason, even though it's common, it's often seen as taboo. And, uh, you know, of course, this is something we can touch on later too, but that's really why I I just feel so passionate about it is I just don't want other women or women who know people or husbands who who through this, I, I don't want people to feel alone. And, and that's, that's really what drives me to, to talk about it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just love your heart behind it. Because I feel like, you know, it can be scary to share our personal experiences when it comes to such a serious topic like this. But you're willing mm-hmm. to be vulnerable because you want to see women find freedom and healing and, um, yes. and to be comforted. And I just I love that so much. Um, about you and about your heart. And um, I I would love for you to share with the listeners what your experiences with postpartum depression were like, um, starting with after you had your first son, um, Walter. So like, what were the mm-hmm. symptoms like? You know, what, what sort of thoughts or feelings were you having? And what about the people in your life who were around you? Well, what did they think of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, with Walter, it was really kind of an interesting experience. And I think that um, this is just a testament to how postpartum depression and anxiety can look different for every person. So anybody who's a mom or anybody who knows really anything about birth knows that, you know, when you have the first six weeks after the baby is born, oftentimes you are kind of, you you walk into this period of baby blues, you know, where you mm. just don't feel like yourself, you feel down, you might cry, you might even feel kind of uncontrollable. But ultimately, you know, at the end of the day, you still feel like yourself, it does end up going away. And, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't change you. And it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't really alter how you feel about yourself. It's just kind of these temporary emotions that might be confusing in the moment, but, but aren't permanent. But after my son was born, what I experienced was just, it was immediate during those, within the first six weeks, but it was so far beyond what is often considered the baby blues. So to kind of back up a little bit, you know, my, my son was born at 36 weeks and four days, which really isn't too 
horribly early, but he had what a lot of medical professionals jokingly refer to as wimpy white boy syndrome, which <laughs> essentially means for some reason that, that uh, white male babies struggle the most when they are uh, born prematurely. And he was considered mm. late term premature. And so he was immediately whisked off to the NICU. And I remember the hardest part for me was, you know, he was laid on my chest and I was just like, oh my gosh, I, I love him. And then he was immediately taken away wow. because he was having trouble breathing. And that connection that I had just kind of snapped. And I, and I didn't really, and then, you know, you're just exhausted and, and so many hormones. And, and so when I went and finally saw him in the NICU, I did not connect with him. And I just looked at him and was like, Oh my, what am I supposed to do with this? This kid covered in wires. He has a CPAP. He's got an oxygen, you know, breathing tube. He's got a feeding tube. He's just, he doesn't, you know, it just looks like, like a machine almost. And, and so almost immediately from that moment, I could feel myself sinking. But what made it beyond baby blues was that with, with Walter and after that experience, um, I would feel myself go in waves, you know, during the day when we would be in the hospital and visit him in the NICU, I would, I'd feel all right. But as the evening rolled around, I would start to feel very, very helpless, um, almost desperately. So I would start questioning why I was alive. I would start, and it was just, it was like, I knew it was coming and I hated it, but I couldn't stop it. It was like just this wave. And, um, and at one point I remember a really kind of frightening experience I had was there was one evening that we were out, finally out of the hospital, but Walter was still in the NICU, so we were at home without him. And we were going over to my sisters and brother-in-laws for, for dinner, and I remember walking into the apartment, and it felt like I was watching my life through a movie camera. It was a, It's almost kind of hard to explain, but it was a very odd feeling. I was completely and utterly disconnected from everybody in the room, and it made me feel almost physically ill. And I realized later doing some research that a classic uh, sign or symptom of depression is something called depersonalization, where you essentially step out of reality and it's almost like you're watching yourself and you just completely disconnect from everybody wow. around you. And yeah. it was very, very intimidating. And um, and so when I was walking through this, I couldn't put my finger quite on, on what it was. And I felt like I couldn't validate myself and say it was postpartum depression because it was so soon after my son was born, but it was so deep and so desperate and such a dark time. And my husband can attest to this. You know, you're asking about the people who are around me. My husband was was support as supportive as he could be. He was kind of watching me walk through this and didn't really know what to make of it, but neither did I, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and nobody was really there coming alongside us to say, Hey, I might be dealing with right, right now. Um, and, and most of that is because I didn't really speak up about it. Um, but oddly enough, Walter was in the NICU for 18 days. Now, when he came home, those feelings kind of went away on their own. And it wasn't until later after the, or during the, um, when I was being induced with my daughter that a nurse asked me about my experience with postpartum depression after my son was born. And I told her how it was. I said it was just while he was in the NICU. And then when he came home, it seemed to kind of go away on its own. And she said, oh, okay, so it was situational. Well, that's something I've never heard of before. I was like, oh, okay. Right. Well, yes, yeah. that was what it was. <laughs> you know, yeah. and so I'm still learning. I'm still learning about this experience, mm -hmm. you know, and it was, but it was just, 
you know, if you look at the textbook definition of baby blues and then you look at the textbook definition of postpartum depression, it was just so beyond what I'd experienced. Um, And one of the key things during that time that connected to the anxiety that I dealt with months later after Walter was born was that I would have these intrusive thoughts. And these intrusive thoughts were essentially, you know, I had absolutely no desire to harm myself, no desire to harm anybody else, um, no desire to commit suicide. And yet day in and day out, I was plagued by the idea, what if, what if I, Mm. what if I were to harm myself? What if I were to harm somebody else? And it was, the thoughts were just brutal and they would never leave me alone. Mm. And, and I mean, and you want to talk about how it can feel alien, who in the world would want to tell somebody, Hey, I'm having these thoughts about harming myself or somebody else, you know, and that's very hard to talk about. Um, and it wasn't until I went to counseling when Walter was, I'm, I want to say he was probably about four months old when this anxiety and the intrusive thoughts really started to come up. Um, it wasn't until I went to counseling that the counselor said, oh, I know what you, because you are not displaying characteristics of being truly suicidal, what you're walking through is intrusive thoughts where you don't have that desire, but you are terrified of the possibility and, I, and, and you just cannot stop thinking about it. And, um, and once again, I was learning, you know, and it wasn't until I stepped into counseling and I was just kind of like, this is what I need to do that I learned, um, more about what it was that I was experiencing. So, and I apologize, I feel like I'm kind of hopping around a little bit, but no, this is, but, um, it, yeah, but it just kind of, you know, it started off with that while he was in the NICU, pretty situation there. And then the intrusive thoughts, the anxiety in the form of those just ruthless intrusive thoughts that just plagued me day and night to the point where I was like, oh my gosh, I wouldn't myself. Would I, would I really, you know, kill myself for what seemingly no reason, you know, would I do that? But no, those intrusive thoughts were just so powerful. And, and by the grace of God through counseling, I was able to, you know, um, work through those with the counselor and almost kind of graduate from the program and just learn tools to, to kind of um, just really just not make room for those thoughts and, and push them out and say, this is not who I am. And, and um, so that's, that was how it was mm. with Walter. Um, with Gail, it was different. It was much more, um, you know, though I say before with Walter, it was kind of the textbook definition of postpartum depression was how I was feeling. It definitely wasn't textbook in terms of timeline. Like I said, it was very fast. Typically they don't test you for postpartum depression until six weeks postpartum because, you know, they want your hormones to level out. And, and I think that that's, you know, a very valid thing to do. But for me, it was just way beyond that. And, but with Gail, it was more textbook, you know, she had a healthy birth and um, my induction was very smooth with her. So she stayed on my chest and that was just a great moment. And so I was sure I was going to be okay after she was born. But just probably about, I want to say a month and a half, two months into her life, I started feeling disconnected from her. And I was so frustrated because it was happening later and everything had been, you know, so quote unquote perfect with her birth, so much smoother, not early, you know, just being induced because I had some um, high blood pressure. Whereas with Walter, I had full on preeclampsia and it was like an emergency and, yeah. you know, that's what made it so frustrating. I thought, oh, for sure, I should be able to just handle this and my emotions are great and I feel great. But if there's anything I've learned is that postpartum depression, 
it doesn't, it doesn't look at your situation and say, you know, your brain and your hormones, they don't look at your situation and say, oh, this was pretty smooth. So I guess we'll just leave you alone. It just doesn't, mm-hmm. it just doesn't work like that, you right. know? And um, when she was like, I said, well, just about, I started feeling very disconnected from her. I didn't feel any sort of emotions toward her, um, especially when I was tired in the evening, um, which of course, exhaustion, totally normal. But looking at my baby and saying, I literally care nothing for you. You know, I mean, I just, I'm just done with you. I don't feel a connection at all. And then adding to that, um, a big issue I had after her birth was severe anger. I mean, rage, not just, oh, frustrated anger, oh, exhausted anger. But Mm. I was stopping myself from hurting her. I was stopping myself from feeling, oh my gosh, what if I throw her across the room? I just can't, I cannot handle it when she cries. Not even for 30 seconds, I couldn't handle it. I would get insanely angry. Um, almost, I mean, it seems kind of comical, but I would almost compare it to like the Hulk. And, mm. um, <laughs> and that is when I went to my, my OB and said, you know, I, th- I think I need some help. And then, and with, with Gail's situation, I ended up going on, on medication. So it's kind of a lengthy roundabout <laughs> summary of my scenario, but it was very, two very different situations. And, right, uh, but yeah. that's kind of how it went down with, with both of my, with both of my kids individually. Yeah. Um, I, I love that you're kind of setting the stage for different ways that postpartum depression or anxiety can present itself because you're right. I do think that a lot of us have this idea in our head of how it's supposed to look or when it will, uh, when it will, um, happen or occur. And it's just interesting that both of your experiences are so different and yet it's very clear mm-hmm. that there was something going on. Um, I want to talk for a minute about the decision that you made to go seek counseling um, and then mm-hmm. eventually medication um, after Kale was born. Um, just what was that decision like? Was it intimidating or how did you work up the nerve to go get help? And did you feel like there was some sort of stigma um, or awkwardness about it? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience. So, you know, when I first started dealing with the intrusive thoughts when Walter was a few months old, I, you know, I didn't know that they were intrusive thoughts, but even though I knew I didn't want to hurt myself because you have thoughts that are so intimidating, I thought, oh, I must be a danger to myself. I'd need to get immediate help. And I was thinking I was probably going to need to go on medication because that would be a, a strong solution for some very strong feelings. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I went and saw an obstetrician at the practice that I was at, and this was back in Georgia. And um, it was kind of an interesting and intimidating experience. And I feel like it was a lesson for me and perhaps other women who are listening to really, you know, even though when you walk through anxiety and depression, sometimes it feels like you don't quite know yourself um, when you're when you're in the midst of that. And that's okay because mm. it's it's a very confusing time. It's a very vulnerable time. And it's very, like I said before, intimidating. But even though you, you know, you go to a doctor or you go to a counselor to seek help to get clarity, um, don't be afraid to still stick up for yourself if you feel like even the professional is, t- is telling you something that you don't quite agree with and saying, you know, I'm not sure what I'm going through right now, but I know that it's not X, Y, Z, you know, if they were right. to bring something up like that, because my situation was kind of like that. I went to see an obstetrician. She was new at the practice and I told her what I was experiencing and obstetricians are wonderful, but they are not mental health professionals. And I think when I told her about my intrusive thoughts, which again, at the time I didn't even know what they were, she 
just basically considered me suicidal. And she told me, okay, well, what you're having are suicidal ideations. And that essentially means that one day you're going to act on it. And let me tell you, if you've got anxiety about the possibility of doing that, even though you don't want to, somebody telling you you're going to do it does not help at all. And so I remember sitting in that situation saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? You know? And it was very scary. And she was prescribing me Xanax and she was telling me that I needed to you know, you need to go see a psychiatrist right now. And she was just doing her job. But deep within myself, I said, somebody who is walking through suicidal thoughts needs, would need to hear what you're saying. But I don't feel that that's me. You know, I feel that what I'm walking through is something that is, that is different and not quite there. And so I left the, I left that, um, appointment and my husband and I were talking about it. And, and I just, I said, you know, I'm just not, that just kind of made me feel worse, but I was still taking the doctor's advice. And I was said, well, I'll at least look for a psychiatrist. Um, and it was really just, and that's kind of when I really felt God working in the scenario because, um, you know, although of course he was working the entire time, but I could just kind of feel his presence moving because I was calling these psychiatrists. I couldn't get connected with any of them. And it wasn't until um, a good friend of mine, Malia, a mutual friend, um, told me about a friend of hers who was a counselor, not a psychiatrist, um, but just a, a licensed clinical social worker who did counseling. And she said, hey, why don't you give her a try? And and so I just said, okay. And at this point, it was just about me really just opening up and being vulnerable and saying, I need this. I, I mean, I'm not getting sleep. I know that I need this. And um, so I went to my first session. And that first session, she said, she listened to me. She nodded her head. She did not make me feel crazy. Um, and she said, I think what you're dealing with is intrusive thoughts. You know, she was a mental health professional, so she knew. And, and that's when I knew, okay, I've made the right choice here because it matched me to a T, you know? And, um, and, and if there's anything I can emphasize, and I might be jumping the gun a little bit here, but is that counseling is for everybody, it is for everyone. There is no single person that is that is ever above seeing a therapist for anything. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It doesn't mean you are, oh, walking on the edge, got to go see a counselor. Everybody, um, it, it could benefit. And, and it's just really something that I want to put out there because I feel that oftentimes people think that counseling is for the crazy people that need somebody to walk them through their life and fix their problems. And, you know, are there people who feel that they're in a situation like that? Perhaps, but don't ever feel discouraged and don't ever feel, you know, pulled away from the idea of going to a counselor. If you feel like you need it simply because you're afraid of stigma, because one thing that I've learned or that I learned when I went to counseling was that not only was there really not as much stigma as I was afraid of when I would talk about it, but that when I spoke about going to counseling, it was amazing how people not only, you know, like I said, didn't bring up stigma, but they also kind of opened up to the idea and almost kind of accepted it as something that they could possibly do. Not that I'm sharing this to say, oh, everybody, you know, you're all have issues and you all need to go to counseling, but (laughs) it was just, you know, I would share it with my parents and my parents who may have thought, oh, I don't think you need counseling for what you're going through. You know, I share it with them and, 
and they just open up to it, you know, and they're, and, and they see that I'm taking responsibility for my mental health and they see that I'm getting better. And right. then people are like, okay, yes, I see that this is beneficial, you know? And so, and I thought that that's, that really kind of, you know, relieved some of that stigma and, and uh, just kind of opened up how it was really, really a beneficial thing. Excuse me. <coughs> I apologize. I have a chest cold, so I'm going to like hack my lungs out, but, but <laughs> But, um, so yeah, that was when I stepped into counseling, it, um, it really did, not only did it help me, but I think it also helped other people to a certain extent as well. Um, I'm sure. And then with, I can tell you, it really was just kind of an off the cuff decision. I felt that, you know, I felt so different from what I was walking through the first time that, and it felt more textbook postpartum depression. And I knew that counseling might not be something that I had the time for or the resources, you know, the, the finances for. And so that's really why I took the step to start to start medicating. And I didn't want to say no to it because I was afraid of medication. Um, I was I was intimidated by it, that's for sure. But I was open to the idea because I knew ultimately that it would help me. Um, and of course, I can expand on that. But taking medication really was kind of a, a simpler idea. It was just one of those times where I said, I think this is what I need. I'm just going to try it. And so I did. And it really has helped me. And once again, I'll tell you, medication is not for crazy people. It has been a great experience. And and I'm glad I'm glad that I did it for sure. Yeah. I, I'm just thinking right now. I'm thinking right now about the women who are listening and I can just only imagine how encouraging this must be to hear because I know that I personally have had fears toward counseling and I've been to counseling um, and especially recently and it was it was a big decision for me to go for similar reasons as you with the postpartum rage and just extreme anger mm-hmm. and thinking things about you know hurting your baby and this was after uh, my James was born last May and and I remember thinking at the time you know what will people think you know or what mm-hmm. if I sit in the room with this person and I tell them these things and then. I'm, you know, looked at as, you know, a danger to my child. And it's a scary Mm -hmm. thing to, you know, to start thinking through, but, but you're so right about how there's so much value and wisdom to be found through counseling. And there's tools that you can equip yourself with. Um, And I I would love to hear a little bit about those tools that you learned, um, especially about how to deal with your intrusive thoughts. Um, What sort of resources um, or tools were you equipped with in regards to that? Well, the biggest one, um, and I didn't mention this, the counselor that I went to was a Christian woman. And so, and it was a Christian counseling service. So that benefited me hugely because I knew if, if anything was going to solve this problem, it was going to God and, and just dump. But I knew that I needed assistance. I knew I needed a counselor to walk alongside me because mm-hmm. I didn't know, you know, it's, it's such a delicate thing. It's, you know, oftentimes I feel that people will will hear about mental health issues and say, well, you need to make sure you're praying about that. And that is 100% true. First and foremost, prayer is the most important and powerful tool. However, it's it can be a little bit invalidating to say something like that because sometimes it is not that, oh, and prayer isn't good enough, so we go seek a counselor. It's, oh, God is sovereign. He is listening to our prayers and in control, but he has also gifted us with community. Mm, and I think amen. and I think that counseling is a form of community. You know, I mean, yes. you have somebody who is trained 
to speak to you, trained to help you, gifted by God to walk you through what you're going through. And no matter how it turns out in terms of like, oh, you know, we should do medication or, oh, you don't need it or, you know, no matter which, you know, path you end up taking, that person's walking alongside you when you might be, when, when a friend walking alongside you or a family member, you know, it's helpful, but they might not know quite, you know, that's a heavy burden for them to carry if they don't know how to handle it. And, and that's, and that's a hard thing for them to deal with. So, so the first and foremost resource, of course, that my counselor brought up was prayer, you know, discuss this with God because ultimately everything is underneath his hand and he, what you are walking through is not shocking to him. It's not scary to him. Nothing is that way. And so you are just journeying right now and he is right along with you, even if you do not feel his presence he is right there. And so that was really powerful to have a counselor telling me that because, you know, there's just something about somebody who's telling you this and you're like, yes, no, it's really true, you know? And, <laughs> and, um, it was, it was very helpful. That was naturally the, the first and foremost resource. But in addition to that, we read a book together that was very, very helpful. And it was, um, and I'm just, well, I just blanked on the title. Unfortunately, I didn't write it down, but um, it was I can, I can put it in the show notes. Yes, yes, that would be an excellent. And I apologize that I just blanked on it completely. Of course, anytime I'm under any sort of pressure, my mind is just like, <laughs> and it's gone. So, but um, yes, we'll put it in the show notes for everybody to be able to read. But essentially, it was um, a fantastic book about um, just ridding yourself of intrusive thoughts. And the book itself did not come from a Christian perspective. So there were definitely, you know, if, if anybody goes and, and purchases this book, there are definitely, you know, and, and of course you are a Christian, there are definitely some things to take with a grain of salt, you know, and to say, okay, well, I know personally wouldn't you know, utilize this tool or, or, you know, go in this direction. But the book in and of itself was massively helpful. And I had my counselor for one thing, reading it with me, and, and so that was great and we would discuss, but two, and the biggest thing was that I had an entire book in front of me about something that I thought I was the only person in the world that had this issue. No, there's yeah. a whole book written on this problem. And it was just a testament to the fact that oftentimes when we think we are completely alone and when we feel that we are the crazy one or when we feel that we can't share, I guarantee you several, if not hundreds, if not thousands of other people are walking that same path or have walked it um, and and know exactly what you're talking about, you know? And so it was, you know, there was kind of this reward for being vulnerable and coming forward to this counselor because my world was opened up to the fact that this was, has been studied, intrusive thoughts have have been studied. And um, it was, it was just so, so enlightening. And, um, and so we walked that book together and, and essentially the book in and of itself is very, very meaty and, and what it does that's so great. And this is where I love how faith and, and science go hand in hand because they absolutely complement one each uh, one another is, um, you know, again, it didn't come from a Christian perspective. So you just got the science behind it, which was, which was great. And it literally talked about how your brain functions and how intrusive thoughts even um, not only occur, but begin in the brain and how it's for some people, you know, they don't deal with intrusive thoughts and that's awesome. But for those of us who do these obsessive thoughts, these thoughts that scare us, these thoughts, oh, I would never do this, but why can I not stop thinking about it? It feels like an impulse or 
whatever it may be, you know, it, it's, it's talked about the brain. It talked about how the brain works and, and how these thoughts come about and, and how you feel when you have these thoughts and the conversations that your brain has back and forth. And I was like, wow, this is me to a T. And it just fit everything that I was, was walking through. And I really do urge anybody who is listening to this um, and, and if they personally are going through what they believe to be intrusive thoughts or know somebody who is, to look into this book because, you know, we have the side that is, you know, and of course God is overarching, you know, it's not that God is just on the faith side. Of course, God is the one who crafted science. So, you know, he is overarching all of it, but, but, you know, you have the faith side of, you know, this is, you know, God is working here and then you have the science side and it's so powerful to mesh the two together because they do belong together, you know? Oh, mm. okay. So I see how my brain works because we live in a fallen world and I can see how the enemy uses my brain to craft these thoughts. And then I can see how I can overcome them by using, you know, these, these methods. And one method that worked particularly well for me, and uh, it's really very much metaphorical this, you know, and it's, and it's helpful to go through the book you know, step-by-step, chapter-by-chapter. But so I'll hop around just a bit for time's sake, but, you know, it's kind of skipping to the end, essentially one method that really worked for me after I'd done all this research and really learned about these thoughts and learned how, um, not only how common they are, but how scientifically backed it all is and that that it's not just craziness and it's not something that's just in my own head. You know, a method that worked well for me was you know, imagining my thoughts kind of like a waterfall before me. And I'm sitting behind this waterfall, just relaxing in a chair. And I'm watching things come over this waterfall. You know, it's whether it's you could imagine as leaf, uh, debris or, you know, or, or anything or just like, you know, objects or, or anything. And you're letting them fall and you're letting them fall. And then one object that is really just nothing it comes over the waterfall, just like all the other objects. But all of a sudden, it kind of demands your attention, you know, and it's it is coming over the waterfall and it's either blinking or it's making a lot of noise and you suddenly feel like you need to step out. But to do that, you're going to lose your relaxed position. You're going to be, you know, uprooting yourself from from being comfortable, essentially, and just observing your thoughts, observing your thoughts. And so you make a decision to stay in your chair and you make a decision to just let it flow with the rest of your thoughts. And essentially what that method was doing was saying thoughts run through your head all day long and a lot of them don't stick because they're not important. But when you have an intrusive thought, for instance, for me, I'd be going about my day and all of a sudden I would feel like a punch in the stomach would just hit me and I would have this intrusive thought of what if I committed suicide? It seemed like it just came out of the blue and I would engage with that thought because it terrified me and I would overthink it. But what this method urged me to do was to just essentially imagine it as a waterfall. That thought comes up, it's blinking, it's screaming, it's it's making itself known, but I am not leaving my eyes over the waterfall and it leaves with mm. the rest of the thoughts. And I do not engage. I don't put my hand out. I don't make any effort and it's gone. And, you know, let me tell you something else about stigma. If I, years ago, you know, or if, or, you know, if I wasn't willing to put my pride aside, my humility aside, and I heard somebody saying something about that type of method, I would listen to that and probably laugh my head off. Oh my gosh, you know, it sounds like self-help. It sounds like, you know, it's the, oh, metaphors and, and that's just, it's comical. But it was life-changing when I read through this book and learned how to control my thoughts. It, 
it was absolutely life altering. And so one thing that it really taught me and that I would just urge people to just set your pride aside and be willing Mm -hmm. to step out in vulnerability and say, this is something that I know very well may help me. And of course, and, and most importantly, you know, knowing, okay, this is a self-help method and it's helping me control my thoughts. Obviously, first and foremost, I'm praying, you know, I'm working with God on this and he and I are functioning as a team to utilize these methods. You know, this is not apart from God. This is not separate from God. He is in the mix while you're doing this. But it was, it was just set my humility aside. It seems so corny and cliche, but oh my goodness, it was effective. And so that was one method in particular, but the book has, has many. So it was an excellent resource. I love that. And thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I do think that that is a beautiful visual. Um, And I, it's so funny how, you know, there are probably some people listening right now who are not struggling with postpartum depression, but they do struggle with their thought life. And I Mm -hmm. really do hope that this is an encouragement to them that maybe they can practice some sort of visual like this to start taking control of their thoughts again. You know, we're told to take our Mm -hmm. thoughts captive in scripture. And I think this is just such a beautiful illustration and, um, and a help when it comes to that. Um, you keep mentioning, um, your your walk with God during all of this and just how you and God mm-hmm. were working together during this time. And I'd love for you to dive a little bit deeper into how your faith was shaped or impacted during all of this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think that the biggest thing that I learned just kind of as an overarching um, principle was that, you know, and, and, and I remember reading this, and now, of course, I, I can't remember the address, but I remember reading a verse that says this, and it's just something that much, that we what we walk through that's difficult is it's never done in vain. You know, what you walk through isn't simply so that you can, you know, find your way over the mountain or, you know, push your way through the difficult time, and then ta-da, here we are. It's always so, one, we, we grow. And two, you know, we, we grow um, in our relationship with the Lord. Well, that's, that should probably be number one, growing in our relationship with the Lord and then us just growing personally. But, mm. but what's equally as important is that we take those and we – so it's never an isolated event. You know, we never want it to be, oh, I went through this, but I'm keeping it to myself because, you know, it's just not something that I want to share. I urge, I urge Christian women, you know – Take what you walk through and share it because you will be surprised by how many people say, yes, me too. I thought it was just me. Yes, I thought I was crazy. I was a lot, you know, I've, I've been there. Oh my gosh, that's, I'm not alone, I, you know, and it's so, so valuable and it is such a powerful tool against the enemy mm. because he yes. wants you to feel isolated. He wants you to feel crazy. He wants you to feel like you are the only one. And it's like I said before, he was pounding me with those thoughts. Nobody, don't share your intrusive thoughts. People will think you're crazy. You'll go to a psych ward, you know, and then what's, what's laid in front of me in counseling, a book about what I'm dealing with. Satan is a liar. Take what, you know, so one side is open up about what you're dealing with. And the other side is if you've been there, open up about it so that others can learn. And, and I say that, um, because that was really what, you know, hindsight is, well, I wouldn't say hindsight's twenty twenty, but, you know, looking back, 
I can see what God was doing. So when I first started walking through, you know, these, these different stages of anxiety and depression, it was just, I mean, I can tell you in the moment, if, if God in my mind, then if there was God, I didn't feel him. I didn't Mm -hmm. feel his presence. I didn't feel him walking. I felt completely untethered. And it was almost a physical sensation. When I felt the weight of depression, it felt like my feet were off the floor. It's very, very strange. Um, but I, I mean, I just remember myself in, in just exhaustion. I mean, we experience physical exhaustion as mothers, but you absolutely experience spiritual and emotional, mental exhaustion where you just can't go on anymore. And when you walk through postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, it's, it's just amplified. You know, I can't, you feel like you're crawling oftentimes, you know, or at least that's how it was, was for me. And, and I would cry out to God and I'd be like, my gosh, God, if you are there, then you just listen because I don't know. I don't know you. I don't know where you are. I don't feel your mm-hmm. presence. And, and, you know, and I think sometimes we can be ashamed to say those sorts of things to him, you know, and, and I think sometimes we're intimidated to say those because we're not sure what he's going to think. And let me just urge women who are listening. He understands and he loves you. And in those moments when he feels so, so far away, it is, it is so untrue and he is right there. And, and, but in the moments it's so hard. I mean, I could say this now, but you know, when I wasn't on my medication or when I was walking through, you know, before I went to counseling, oh, I would have, I wouldn't be able to say what I'm saying right now because in the moment it's so scary and difficult. But he yeah. is there and he does not blame you for how you feel. And he isn't, oh, well, there she goes. I mean, she's been, you know, about to walk off the ledge. Like, absolutely not. He is wrapping himself around you. And, and, and even though in the moment you don't feel it, that's one of those times where we have to tell ourselves we cannot live. I believe it's, I believe it's lyrics to a Casting Crown song that says we can't live by what we feel, but by the truth that our, the word reveals, which is... Mm you know, it's that God is always there and that, that we are not alone, even in the times when we feel the most lonely. So anyway, that's a bit of a tangent, but in those, when I was walking through all of that, God did not feel close, but as I emerged from this and as I basically trudged through what I knew that he was having me do was just cling to him. And that was enough. It was more than enough. That's all that he wanted from me. Just cling. I mean, even if it felt like it was by a pinky nail, just clinging to him, even if it meant just reading scripture and then feeling nothing, but just reading because it reminded me that there was truth somewhere that was enough. And it, it was just such a vulnerable time and such a broken time, but God was so loving and so compassionate and he had no expectations and he did not expect perfection. He just wanted me in my brokenness to come to him and just say, this is, if you're even there, this is all that I have. And it was enough, you know, and, and it was amazing. It's amazing looking back now and seeing how he was walking alongside me, you know, even though in those moments it, it, it certainly didn't feel like that. And so, so one of the biggest things, you know, in summation was, that it was teaching me to cling to him in those, in those extremely difficult times. It was reminding me that he's there and that all he wants from me is just coming before him and just getting on my knees and just saying, this is, this is all that I can do. This is all that I have. And he says, great. <laughs> you know, I don't expect perfection. I don't expect anything amazing. I know what you're walking through feels impossible, but I am here. And, um, and, and it did feel impossible, but it wasn't because, you know, I, and I'll say something right now, and it might be a little popular, but 
But I think oftentimes people will say, you know, God will never put you through something you cannot handle. And I have to say, and this is kind of going off, you know, and kind of maybe I'm jumping into the deep end a little bit here, but I would say I almost disagree with that. I would say I think sometimes we do handle, we do deal with things that we cannot handle. The mm. thing is, we go into things we cannot handle, but God can handle it 120%. It is never a problem for him. So it's not about us stepping in and saying, oh, I can handle this. I know that God wouldn't give it to me if I couldn't. It's that saying, oh my gosh, what I'm experiencing is postpartum depression or anxiety or just depression in general or you know, anxiety in general. I cannot handle this, but God can. And he is walking alongside me. He is my protector. He is my provider. And he is going to take care of me in the thick of the dark moments. He is there. I myself would not be able to handle this, but he can, and he is not going to let me down. And I think that is truly what I learned through that experience. And then of course, piggybacking off of that is sharing that, taking all of that kind of ugliness and seeing how, you know, how the Lord grew me through that and how I grew closer to him and how I learned that I could come to him in my brokenness and then sharing that with other women and saying, no, you're not alone and you can come to him. And what you're walking through right now is not permanent, but let him carry that burden. Just dump it on his shoulders. It is not too much for him. And he is walking beside you and before you, he's walking before you through this. So I hope that answers the question, but that was probably yeah. the biggest thing, the biggest things that, that he revealed to me in that time. And, um, it was painful. I will tell you that it was not pretty and it was painful. And I, and I mean, I'm sure I probably enunciated that enough at this point. It was painful. And in the moment, it's hard to say, oh, God's with me. Oh, of course he's with me. It's hard to believe that. But the most important thing is that even, like I said, even if it's by a pinky nail clinging to him and saying, God, wherever you are be with me. And there he is. And he is right there and he will not ever leave you. He never has and he never will. Yes. Yes. And I just, I, for the one who's listening, who feels like she's hanging by the, what was it? The, the, the fingernail. <laughs> the pinky nail. Pinky. Aren't we all yes. hanging by the pinky nail? Yes. There's a woman who is feeling that way. And I think that you being willing to boldly say that it was painful and you could not feel God in that season at that time, I feel like this is a huge comfort because I, I think that a lot of women have this fear of, you know, I, I have to be a good Christian wife. I have to be a good Christian mom. And then if we struggle mm -hmm. at all in our faith, or if we are dealing with something painful and we're struggling to pray or to want to cling to his truth, I think that, you know, there's, there's a shame or a guilt that can come with that. But I love that what you're mm -hmm. saying is, yes, it was painful and it was hard. And, you know, and I, I was having some crisis of faith, but yet I still clung on just by a pinky nail and mm -hmm. he got me through and what was once painful is now powerful because it's a testimony of yes. how good and strong he is and I just love that you are sharing this um, with us and that you are able to encourage other women and I really do hope that, um, that those who are listening are comforted and knowing that they're not alone and that you know this can be just as true for them this is this is amazing yes. Yes. Um, oh, I want to, I want to ask you one more thing, um, before we, um, end our call. Um, I want to know a little bit more about 
what it looks like um, when you feel as though God is taking care of you. I mean, I know that you mentioned, um, you know, how you felt God taking care of you during your um, postpartum depression and um, and before you were on medication or before you had sought counseling. But I want to know, now that you are getting out of the trenches of it, although I'm sure that this season with the two under two can be <laughs> quite chaotic, but but now in this current season, how do you see him taking care of you and pursuing you? you know, yeah, it really is, you know, and that's, it's tough sometimes. It's tough because to say, oh, I can see it so clearly in XYZ because one thing that I think that he really taught me during difficult times was that don't wait for the difficult times to come to run to me, run Mm -hmm. to me every day, press into me every single day, you know, and like, don't wait for it to get difficult, you know, or don't wait for those difficult moments, you know, I mean, because I don't want to say don't wait for it to get difficult as in, oh, I didn't run to God every day. And now he's making my life scary. Like, you know, of course it doesn't work like that, but, right. but, you know, don't wait for those times that inevitably come because we live in a fallen world and to, to come running to me. And, um, and that's still something that I very much battle with, you know, God, I can, you know, when I take time to, to, turn my eyes away from myself. And this is just me being very vulnerable uh, for the sake of women out there who perhaps feel the same as me or, you know, so I'm not alone in this boat. (laughs) But like when I really take time to turn my eyes away from myself, I see what he is doing for me right now. You know, it's, and we've already discussed how he was there through my counselor and how he was there through my friend Malia talking about my counselor and my and my friends who prayed for me and my family who was so supportive, you know, my parents, mm-hmm. so um, so willing to learn, so eager to learn, so open and supportive to what I was was going through. My husband, who was behind me 100%, paying for counseling sessions, learning, you know. And so you can – I could see him, you know, looking back. I can clearly see God there. But what is a challenge for me as a woman who is living a relatively comfortable life um, – and has been a has been a Christian since the age of ten. Is that when times are no longer very difficult, my view of God starts to become. I hope I'm using the right word here. Kind of complacent, you know. Oh mm-hmm. yes, well, you know. Oh yes, well, I have a relationship with God, and oh, you know, and and uh, when I can make the time, I I meet with Him and and all that, and and suddenly that God that I was clinging to becomes a God that I'm almost pushing to the side because everything is good now. Okay, well, I've had my, you know, thanks for helping me through. I guess I'm done now, you know? And it's, it's so, so important and so powerful when, like I said, I turn my eyes out of myself and I say, look at this life I've been given. Look at my obstetrician who supplied me with, you know, a medication to help me work through my postpartum depression and feel like myself this time around. And look at my you know, husband who in the midst of school and work and everything that's supporting me and look at my children who are healthy and look at my, you know, because all I want to focus is focus on is how things are still difficult, but look at how he is providing for me and look at how God is giving us friends and has, has gifted us with a church and look how he's pursuing us by, you know, you know, um, just demonstrating his love and compassion every single day. And, and even when it seems like the days will never end and the kids are crying, I, you know, the only reason I have an eternal sense of joy is because it's been placed there by the whole, you know, through the Holy Spirit and it's been placed there by God and, and look at what he's doing. And 
it's so, so important for me to take time to reflect on that because it's so easy when it's not difficult and when the times seem relatively okay to almost put God in a box and say, I will pull you back out when I need you. And I would just urge, um, you know, moms and, and whoever's listening, moms, dads, you know, men, women to not do that. Essentially, I'm, I'm, I'm saying don't be like me, you know, because that is such a trap that I fall into. It's something that I'm really kind of in right now. And, and you can even attest to this because, you know, for those who are listening, we, you know, I texted you about how I can kind of like wake up my quiet time. I don't want to just be reading verses in the middle of the night when I'm dealing with emotional issues. I want it to be every day because I love God, not just for the sake of rigidity and, mm. you know, and just for the sake of, of being good, but because I love him and I want to grow to you know him better. And so help me with that. And I remember us having a great conversation about that and, and, and what, you know, how you do your quiet times and, and how many times you've spoken about that. And it's just so, so important um, and, and so powerful. Mm-hmm. And and I think I'm still walking through that right now. But I can tell you that in the midst of all these things that we have and how God has just um, shown his, his graciousness to us, I really think that the biggest way that he is pursuing me, loving me, and just being being God and being endlessly compassionate, endlessly forgiving, endlessly loving, is that even when I, like I said, almost put him in a box, as if you can even do that to God, not really, but in my mind, put him in a box. Right. He still is infinitely merciful and that when I do come to him feeling sheepish, even though I shouldn't, but, but feeling sheepish because what I've been doing is, is wrong. He says, Rachel, I still, I love you. I've never stopped loving you. And here I am Mm -hmm. with my arms open, just waiting for you to come back. There is no, I'm not counting the days. I'm not keeping a tally. I'm not, you know, when you miss a day of quiet time and you beat yourself up, I'm not beating you up. You know, that's not from me. Come back to me, you know. And, and, and renew your soul. And let's do this every day because I know that you love me, but I adore you. And I want us to do this every single day, you know? And, and I think that's the biggest way that he has just been demonstrating how he pursues and how merciful he is and how loving he is, is that in the midst of my almost brushing him off as I can do as an imperfect person, he never does that to me. And he is always there through the thick and the thin and and through what I would consider to be the good and the bad, he is ever present. He never changes. And when I kind of come back to him saying, oh my gosh, I haven't met with you in forever. Oh, what you must think of me. The only thing he thinks of me is you're my daughter and I love you. Mm-hmm. And I just want to urge those moms out there who are feeling like, oh, I need to come crawling back to God with all of these apologies. I think that it is it is important to to ask for forgiveness when we brush God off. I think that it's it's important to open ourselves up to him and say, yes, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I was disrespecting you. I'm sorry that I was putting you to the side. I do think that's important. But by no means should you shoulder this guilt. And by no means should you feel that you cannot return to him any minute of any day because he has not changed and he's right there waiting for you. And um, And I think that that is truly the way that that he is growing me through the the quote unquote good times, um, mm. when I'm not feeling this this emotional weight. He's right there. He hasn't left, and that that he's he's not going anywhere. And that's been that's been the biggest way. Yes, and these are really just powerful truths that I think everybody can cling to, whether they're in the good times or the bad times, the hard seasons or the easy ones. 
And I know that I too wrestle with, you know, those burdens uh, that I put on my Mm -hmm. own shoulders of, you know, I've been letting God down. I haven't been pursuing him like I should. And you're, you're so right about how he never looks at us as anything different than we are his daughter. And it's just Mm -hmm. incredible how, you know, he's been showing you this um, and how he's been nurturing your faith and, um, and wooing you and pursuing you even through this season. Um, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to share your story and, um, and being so vulnerable. I mean, I, I feel like this is, this is a part of your story that you're right. You could have so easily just kept this to yourself. You know, you know, it is a private thing, but at the same time, I love that you desire to let this be a comfort and an encouragement to others. And, um, I just think it's one of the ways that God is using you in this time of your life. And I know it's definitely, um, been impactful for me and encouraging to me. So I just want to thank you again for, for coming on to this podcast and sharing with us. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. And I just, I appreciate you listening to me ramble on. I know that I can go on for a while, but it's definitely, uh, it's definitely something that I am passionate about. And I'm just so grateful that you just set aside this time to, to let me talk about it. And, and really, I'm just hoping that, um, whatever came out (laughs) was of the Lord and that, and that he is ultimately the one that's glorified through this. That is, that is just the biggest thing. So thank you. Yes. I love it. Well, I'm going to be sure to link um, that book that you were talking about in the show notes so that people can be sure to check it out um, if they're struggling at all or just curious to know more about it. Um, And uh, thank you again. I I am wishing you an amazing weekend with your family and and some good times of rest because I know that mamas need it. (laughs) We need that rest. (laughs) Yes. Yes, let's just just declare we're just going to be praying for rest for all of the moms out there. Yes. That is for and sure. Everybody <laughs> said amen. <laughs> yes. Uh, all right. Well, thank you again, Rachel. And we'll have to talk again soon. That sounds so good. Thank you very much. I had a great time. All right. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Hey, friends, if you haven't already, it would mean so much to me if you'd leave a review for this podcast on iTunes or in your Apple podcast app. Getting more reviews and ratings helps Soul Care for the New Mom get more exposure, which means more moms listening and more moms being filled with gospel truths and encouragement for their motherhood journey. I definitely want to see Soul Care continue to grow, and you can help with that with your review. Plus, I love hearing your feedback and getting an idea of what this podcast has meant to you. So when you get a chance, please be sure to do that. That would truly bless me today.